All right, welcome to Rose Colored Glasses, a podcast where I, Wayne Lester, delve into the depths of my childhood and adolescence and revisit the music, movies, TV, video games, and other media that help define who I am today. My goal is to review these things with nostalgia in mind, but also to determine whether or not they still hold up today. In 2003, I was in eighth grade. I had shed most of my awkward pre-puberty weight and gelled only the top of my hair. I wore those preppy shell necklaces and cargo shorts. It wasn't exactly popular, though I did somehow get voted class president. And that's not a humble brag, as I did not do a damn thing as president outside of making a terrible speech on graduation day. But I wasn't an outcast either. Middle of the pack. Story of my life. Anyway, at that time, I was learning drums, and I was playing in a quote-unquote garage band with my buddy Paka. I use the term garage band very loosely because we played maybe a handful of shows to friends and family. We never got a paid gig, though. But we were listening to and covering what we considered to be rock music. Three Doors Down, Sum 41, Linkin Park, and the like. God, we thought we were hard. But we didn't know any better. We were both Dragon Balls deep into Dragon Ball Z as well, and file-sharing programs like Kazaa and LimeWire were in their prime, so this was pre-YouTube, so videos weren't as ubiquitous as they are today. You had to really dig to find the gems, and we really mined for them. Uh, We stumbled upon these AMVs, which stands for Anime Music Videos for the Uninitiated. We found these AMVs of Dragon Ball Z compilations set to songs like Kryptonite by Three Doors Down, which featured Gohan's ascension into Super Saiyan 2. Um, In the End by Linkin Park, uh, where Vegeta was just being the hard ass that he is. And another one that I remember was My Own Worst Enemy by Lit, which showcased Krillin's dumbass basically just being Krillin. So these AMVs, um, coupled with my burgeoning understanding of what quote-unquote good music actually was, eventually led me away from the more pop rock stuff and more towards the nuanced indie scene. And I have my brother Steven to thank for a good portion of this. Uh, He was 20 months older, still is, but at the time he was... 20 months older, he was more musically eclectic than I was. He was kind of into the more obscure stuff. And he turned me on to emo bands like Brand New and Dashboard Confessional and some more accessible indie artists like Sufjan Stevens and the band that I want to talk about today, which is The Format. I didn't discover the format until 2004, which was my freshman year in high school. Um, But I really dug them, and their album Interventions and Lullabies kind of became the soundtrack to my high school life. Uh, The lyrics were smart, cutting, often sad, but it was juxtaposed by this upbeat, happy melody and, and instrumentation generally. But they sang about death, they sang about growing distance from good friends, 
failing relationships, career woes, the death of loved ones, all these things that I had yet to experience, but I knew that one day I inevitably would. Nate Ruse is the lead singer and the front man of the format. Uh, he was born in Iowa City in 1982. He dealt with repeated instances of pneumonia when he was a kid, but luckily he wasn't seriously impaired because of it. Uh, he was often told by his friends growing up that he couldn't sing, so he decided to prove them wrong. Uh, and as he mentions in an interview with American Songwriter, which I'll leave a, a link to that in the show notes, if you want to read it, it's pretty short, but it's interesting. Anyway, his friends told him that he at least needed to get vocal lessons because he really was not that good. And he just wasn't into that idea. Uh, so he taught himself how to sing by listening to singers who would be singers he thought would be difficult to imitate. So some, some of the, the artists that he mentioned in that article were Freddie Mercury of Queen, uh, Rivers Cuomo of Weezer, and Adam Duritz from uh, Counting Crows. Those are a couple examples, but he would crank up the volume and try to match the notes with his own voice. And uh, so he eventually developed his own unique style uh, from the sort of mimicry that he engaged in there. And then he also kind of found his songwriting voice as well. He's, he's one of those people where melodies just kind of flood through his mind. And uh, he has a knack for attributing meaningful lyrics to everyday uh, situations and objects. Uh, but anyway, he's he's the current frontman of the band Fun now, and uh, he's does his own solo stuff as well. But uh, I'll talk more about that later. This is more about just the format era. Uh, Sam Means, the other half of the format, is a songwriter in his own right, but he primarily sings harmony and plays instruments for the format. Uh, less is known about his personal life. I did very cursory digging, but it didn't seem like there was much out there, so. I don't want to impose on his privacy uh, and like get his whole life story, but suffice to say, he's a badass. He's got some really cool solo stuff uh, as well, which I'll kind of talk about a little later, but we're going to focus, like I said, on the format today. So Nate and Sam formed the format in the early 2000s in Arizona. After their 2002 EP, which was titled simply EP, uh, the group gained traction for their first single, aptly named the first single. Are you sensing a theme here? And released Interventions and Lullabies in 2003. It's 45 minutes long. It's got 12 tracks, and most of those are in the three to four minute range, which to me is the perfect length of a song and a really solid track number. None of the songs overstay their welcome, as far as I'm concerned, and those on the longer side uh, have worthwhile payoffs. I credit the format and this album in particular with shaping my current musical sensibilities. Their harmonies were subtle, sweet, and smooth, and the largely acoustic instrumentation uh, really resonated with me in a way uh, it hadn't before I found them. Until this point, I've been sort of more attracted to the heavier electric guitars and booming drums. Uh, my parents often played soft rock in the car with us when I was growing up. So we're talking the Eagles, America, 
bread. There was some Bee Gees. There was some uh, Holland Oats. So, and while those bands sometimes utilized acoustic instruments, um, I didn't really feel like that music was for me so much because it was my parents' stuff. You know, it wasn't cool. I I like it now, but anyway, at the time, I didn't really uh, feel that into it. So, anyway, I stumbled upon the format. I think it was probably my brother that uh, gave me the CD. And I just fell in love with it. I learned every word to every song on Interventions and Lullabies. Uh, I still know everyone by heart to this day. But around that time is when I kind of started to sing. Until that point, I hadn't really done much singing. But uh, I love these songs so much, and they really they really resonated with me. So I began to sing along to those songs, and that kind of sparked the flame for my own eventual desire to kind of pursue singing. And, you know, Nate's vocal range is very impressive. I mean, he could hit the higher notes that I couldn't imitate, and I, I can't now. But damn if I don't try. And, you know, it's kind of similar to how Nate was treating those other artists that he listened to uh, growing up, like Freddie Mercury and stuff like I know I could never reach quite the notes uh, that that he is or those other guys are, but it's fun to try and it kind of pushes you to, to try a little harder. So anyway, this album contains a snapshot of life in the early 2000s. This is when social media was in its infancy. Uh, smartphones weren't ubiquitous and teenagers like myself uh, at the time had a different set of priorities than they have today. Interventions and Lullabies will forever be one of my favorite albums and although nostalgia plays a gigantic role I feel like even through rose-colored glasses this record is a banger. I also just wanted to spend just a minute briefly on the album cover art. It's uh, a blank featureless yellow face that sort of gazes outward in front of this pastel blue background. The figure is presumably Nate, uh, Nate Roos, the, the lead singer, but the, the longer red slash brownish hair and lack of any features kind of make the gender and the identity of the figure ambiguous. Uh, there are no words on the cover. It's very tastefully minimalistic in, in my view and it really evokes heavy nostalgia when I see it. All right, onward. The album opens with the first single. It's a jangly poppy number with one hell of a hooky chorus. The harmonies provided by Ruse himself and Sam, means, are crisp and omnipresent. They weave a through line across these melancholic lyrics like The snappy snare drums and claps punch heavily until the bridge where it kind of chills out and Nate proclaims Me, all you really need are a few good 
And for someone who had yet to take a sip of alcohol at that time, I didn't understand really the nightlife connotation until I was a little bit older. But Nate's reflection that he's sick of going out on the town and getting shithoused at deafening clubs is a sentiment that I can definitely now appreciate. The next song is Wait, Wait, Wait. And this is a song about future plans, change, and most certainly dying. The thought of death, it scares me to death. May sound a bit on the nose, but it's a sentiment that we all kind of grapple with at one time or another. And this tune merges the ideas of ceasing to exist with happy chords and a quick tempo, which is that juxtaposition I mentioned earlier, and they use it a lot on this album. But if this song was the last sound that I heard as my eyes closed, I believe it would be a fitting outro. Track number three, Give It Up. meditation on the past, old friends, graduation, moving onward, and really into adulthood. And this one's one of my favorites on the album. It incorporates a nice whomping tuba and a subtle, tasteful piano. It's in a kind of playful manner that belies the serious nature of the lyrics once again. The subject of the song is appears to be someone who's stuck in the past, or at least someone who's kind of afraid of the real world and losing touch with the quote-unquote good old days. Which is something that I'm guilty of doing, obviously, hence this podcast. Up next is Tie the Rope. I'm an envy of addicts, you're obsessed with stars. And this is a song about a vapid partner in a toxic relationship. She is obsessed with stars, has vain selfish tendencies, and is it's metaphorically killing Nate. He's complicit though in a way. She's sort of handing him the noose essentially, which he'll hang himself, which is, again, metaphorical. But here, once again, the poppy instrumentation is present and the upbeat tempo, uh, but it's propping up some kind of darker lyrics. And uh, the guitar work around the two and a half minute mark is very iconic to me. It sounds like a string of arpeggio notes that are played backwards, uh, where all the other instruments kind of cut out, and then when the band joins back in to bring it to a close, it's just like a really powerful moment there. Next up is Tune Out. This is track five. 
And this one sketches out a relationship that appears to be on its last leg. And the couple is choosing to tune out and listen to the same song over and over. Uh, which is a description. To me, it sounds like they're kind of talking about just going through the motions. Uh, sort of Groundhog Day-esque. One of the quotes, one of the lines from the song. So to me, it sounds like the love is still there, but it's becoming routine, They're kind of running out of things to talk about, um, stage and relationships, which I've definitely experienced, and I'd say most of us have. Musically, the song's pretty straightforward, but the harmonies are on point, uh, and the bridge fizzling out into this crescendo of a double chorus finale, uh, with the last chorus kind of being a coda. Uh, anyway, it's an excellent ending for the song I really do. Track six. I'm ready I am. I'm nicotine. I'm coming clean. I fooled the crowd when I made it sound like I was more than ready. one of my favorite songs on this record and it Nate details some of the struggles he faces as both a songwriter and a performer um, which includes like lack of sleep nervousness a kind of imposter syndrome to me he also laments the those early days of social media here I mean this was 2003 right there's one quote I read your last entry To me, this is a reference to Zanga. I don't know if you guys remember that. But users would post blogs or entries in which they would typically overshare about situations in their personal lives. So again, this is around 2003, and I certainly aired my fair share of dirty laundry on Zanga. And while I'm not proud of it, that was the sort of modus operandi of that era. Um, teenagers... Typically middle class and upwards, hence Nate's use of the word overprivileged. But uh, teenagers in general were just trying to be noticed uh, to fit in publicly, so to speak. But but they also wanted to stand out as individuals, as creative writers, as these sensitive, intelligent, deep thinkers. And in typical teenage fashion, we were still learning the boundaries, and often we crossed them. But this is only one aspect of the song. It's something, uh, though, that still holds true today. I feel like maybe now more than ever, with just the ubiquity of social media where we create shrines to ourselves and showcase the best aspects of our lives. And I just feel like that undoubtedly has an impact on our relationships. And uh, as so much of our lives are being lived from a screen, to quote Nate, which is an oddly prophetic bit of lyricism. But more than all of this, I'm ready is about uh, a relationship Nate's hesitant to let go of, a recurring theme on this album. I need a 
So he's looking for a legitimate reason to leave, but is swayed by the possibility of things improving. And I'd venture a guess that all of us have gone through this to one degree or another, uh, putting blinders on to, to an extent, convincing ourselves that things aren't that bad or that they might get better if you just hold out. Sometimes they do, but often they don't. Anyway, musically, uh, I really dig this one. The, the dynamics stand out to me as particularly on point. Uh, there are many stops and starts where kind of all the instruments wash out and then the drums kick in the next bar. This might be reading too much into it, but I almost feel like this was like a deliberate choice to mimic the fits and starts that the relationship is experiencing. Um, it's like everything's going great, and then, oh shit, the brakes have been pumped, and oh, it's all good again, and then, oh shit, this sucks. She loves me, she loves me not. I love her, I love her not. Now for the heavy hitter of the bunch, On Your Porch. This one might be the most nostalgic track of all for me. The mellow acoustic guitar, the soft accordion, and the melancholic, reflective, uh, and of often kind of depressing lyrics meld into what I consider to be the masterpiece of this record. And this was also one of the first fingerpick songs that I ever learned to play on guitar. It was one of those that was difficult enough to to challenge me, but not so intricate as to be daunting. This tune evokes a desert sunset in my mind, and I think um, partly that's due to the lyrics, because they mention deserts and sunsets in the song, but it also kind of just the, in my mind I see like a plateau in the desert in Arizona, the sun's like halfway down past the horizon, it's kind of lavender and hazy and reddish and just chill and dead like there's nothing around but that's just me the main thrust of this song is that nate's father is extremely ill and possibly dying um and his mother ended up taking care of of his father and nate's torn between spending all the time he can with his dad before he passes and then simultaneously wanting to avoid the whole situation because he doesn't want to say goodbye. say goodbye and as I start to leave he grabs me by the shoulder and he tells me what's left to lose you've done enough and if you fail last three years I know they've been hard but now it's time to get out of the desert and into the sun but even if it's alone but his father's encouraging him to pursue his dreams telling him that he's been a great son especially during the last three years that he'd been dealing with the illness and that he's proud of him and the third verse is about Nate and Sam writing songs in a hotel off of Sunset. 
like they always have, except now they've got something to prove. So they've kind of committed to being musicians. Um, they're going to pursue that to the end, whether they fail or not. And then really either way, it doesn't matter because Nate isn't a f- failure in his father's eyes. And I think that's the sort of beautiful image, the beautiful message that this song gets across. Now we've got something to prove. And I, I can see the next track is Sore Thumb. another song about a dysfunctional relationship surprise surprise i'm starting to think nate doesn't have the best track record in this realm but hell for all i know these songs are all about the same lady anyway the lyrics in this song are a sort of push and pull it kind of begins with him rationalizing why she's hanging up on him so he's kind of playing it off like it doesn't matter to him what's going on but then he'll turn around and then kind of passive aggressively state the opposite so please just leave And he alludes to self-harm in the end here, and I'm not sure if he's talking about himself or her, but either way, it doesn't read like a healthy relationship to my ears. But either way, this is a catchy track. It's got fairly straight-ahead instrumentation too, uh, but the harmonies are great. And uh, it's not quite as musically upbeat as some of the others. I think there's some more minor chords here. It's still a jam. Track nine is A Mess To Be Made. Where Nate describes the volatile nature of possibly the same relationship and how both parties are a mess. They have a fight, they break up, Nate metaphorically helps her pack her bags. There's a meta section in this song as well. Uh, One of the lines says, and a voice on the other end of the phone says, why don't you write a song about it? Well, here it goes. It's almost like she's daring him to use her for his art, which could be uh, a point of contention for them. Maybe this has come up before. But I really love the accordion and the banjo uh, in this song. Those instruments are used so sparingly together, especially in modern pop and indie music. So any chance that I get to hear those uh, together is very welcome. Don't you write a song? 
Let's make this moment a crime. Track 10. This is a somewhat nihilistic song. Everything feels the same to Nate, so he's sort of giving up, but also he's still kind of into it, which is another dichotomy that plays itself out often on this record. This may not be my favorite song on the album, but it is still a banger and it has some great hooks. Uh, the instrumentation, once again, is pretty straightforward, um, but it's another instance of that happier chord progression with more lugubrious uh, lyrics. The harmonies and call and response are really fantastic here too. All right, next up is Career Day. This is the longest song on the album. It's sort of about the future, success, failure, and the struggle to sort of juggle all those potentialities. Uh, this is another track that really resonates with me because I've also struggled with the idea of success and what that means what it takes to achieve it and how I'd feel if I did. You know, if I did achieve some grand goal that I'd been striving for, like how would that make me feel? How would that change me? Would it change me? Would it be worth it? This kind of stuff. Um, but lyrically, there are some real gems here. Um, one of my favorites is... As for you, you spin a story like a spider spin. Honestly, has helped me uh, differentiate the difference between uh, metaphors and similes. But anyway, another bit of lyrics. If I'm not tortured, how are you? And this is as in the audience, which is another fourth wall breaker. If I'm not tortured, how are you ever going to relate? I've been condemned by those I love, wishing me the worst as I try my best. So it's sort of this, um, you know, so maybe he's referencing those friends of his that... Uh, weren't really supportive of him and his singing ability in the early days but he still kept trying his best I really love the outro bit here um, where they echo in with the outro and out with the old uh, and that's like repeated over and over with slight variations and then there's these other lyrics in the background like preparing for failure from what we've been told or there's nothing to lose when there's nothing to hold but I just really like um, the harmonies and the way he subtly changes that um, in with the outro and out with the old. It's just a cool uh, section there, and I think it really ends the song in a lovely way.
All right, finally, the last track is a save situation. short, laid-back, mostly acoustic number uh, with a nostalgic edge to it. Nate sings about how he needs to get back to Tempe, uh, which is his home, and part of him wants to go back home to his roots, sort of leave the hustle and bustle of L.A. life, but he also wants to pursue his passion, which can't quite be done in rural Arizona. So it's kind of a nice coda to the album, a calm little reflection sort of cleanse the palate there at the end. Interventions and Lullabies ranks as one of my own personal top five albums of all time. It's catchy and upbeat while also being meaningful and ruminant. It uses instruments like the banjo and the accordion, which I mentioned uh, in, a, in a pop setting, which is great. It's a great effect. And it's sort of generally soft acoustic um, instruments. Uh, not all the time. There's definitely some electric guitars and some drums and such, but uh, I tend to like the more acoustic stuff they do. Every song is gorgeous in its own right, and though there's a lot of overlap in the subject matter, uh, there's a freshness to the angle Nate takes with his songwriting uh, for each each of these songs, so it doesn't feel noticeably oversaturated with the same content. It's not the same content. It's uh, just maybe the same relationship that he's sort of viewing through different lenses or um, just finding out new ways to articulate what he's thinking and feeling. Looking through rose-colored glasses, I feel like this album is a perfect encapsulation of teenage years. Love, loss, heartbreak, hope. It's all here. And it's all a blast to listen to. It still holds up to me, this album. Though it's difficult to say if I heard the album today for the first time, how I would feel. My music tastes have changed pretty drastically over the last 16 years since this album was released. Uh, but this album also shaped and defined me as someone who listens to music and also someone who plays music. There are a lot of bands I started listening to because of the format, because they sort of led me in a different direction. So it'd be interesting to, to meet the alternate reality version of my 29-year-old self who'd never heard the format and kind of probably would have went in a completely different direction musically. But it'd be interesting to see what I, how I would feel about it today if I'd never heard the album before. The format released a few more albums, EPs, and singles. Most notably would probably be 2005's Snails EP and then 2006's Dog Problems. They also had a B-Sides and Rarities record, which was interesting, and several live records. But nothing really 
captured my heart and mind like Interventions did. Nate Roos has since moved on to front the band Fun, which I mentioned earlier. That's along with his bandmates Jack Antonoff and Andrew Dost. And they got massive success with the song We Are Young. They're still pretty popular, though, beyond just that one song. But that was the one that that really boosted them into the stratosphere. So he's, Nate has kind of moved in a popular direction. Um, and he's achieved fame, which is great. And I'm happy for him. Um, but he, the stuff that he's doing now isn't quite my cup of tea. And it doesn't uh, hit the same notes so to speak, as Interventions did. I think there was something about um, Sam and Nate together that sort of captured Magic in a Bottle a little bit. Sort of like the Postal Service did. Um, of course, that was just a side project with Ben Gibbard and... Um, fuck, I'm an asshole because I can't remember the other guy's name. But, um, but I don't know. I just feel like you, you get these two people together and for whatever reason, it's just lightning in a bottle. It's just... They connect, they write songs together in a way that just creates magic, to be quite honest. And I think they, I think Sam and Nate had that, uh, that feel. Speaking of Sam, he's also done some solo work. Um, my own personal favorite thing was the super chilled out tune, Yeah Yeah, which was released in 2009. I didn't realize it was that long ago, but um, yeah, it's 10 years. Um, but as far as I know, there wasn't really a falling out between these two. Um, they released a live album as the format as recently as 2016. That's only three years ago. Uh, but there hasn't been any new format material in a while that I know of. Uh, I'd love to hear what the kind of music they'd make together now, but, uh, I don't know that that's going to happen. All right. Well, that's all from me, folks. I'll have links to relevant articles and the band's music uh, streaming and, and where you can buy it and stuff in the show notes. But yeah, feel free to drop me a line on Twitter or email at rosecoloredpod at gmail.com. Uh, and let me know any thoughts or memories you have of this band or this album, or if there's some other nostalgic bit uh, you'd like me to cover in the future. Let me know. I'm planning on kind of alternating between music, TV or a movie, and then video games, and then maybe some other thing. I don't know yet. Still kind of figuring that out. But um, but yeah, I have, I have a lot of ideas for a lot of things to cover. Um, maybe once this thing gets going, I can do a poll or something to see what, what you guys want to hear about the most. But this is sort of just a um, kind of an experiment. I'm going to see what... Uh, what works what doesn't and um so yeah feel free to give me any feedback you want to give thanks for listening and don't forget to equip those rose-colored glasses from time to time it's thanks to the past that we are who we are today <laughs>